Jesus Christ is working all things towards your intended end, which is to bring everything under his headship to his glory and for our joy forever. So I pray that you would help us to hold on to him and him alone in faith because he is our life, our hope, our joy. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning on this windy, blustery first Sunday of March. What do they say? In like a lion, out like a lamb? Yesterday felt rather lamb-like to me. I'll take more of that, if you will. Um, well, whether you uh, are here in person or you have joined us online, I want to welcome you to this service. And as we just sang and prayed, we are here because we want to worship together Jesus. There is no one like him. He is the one and only. And uh, when everything seems out of control in this world, we hold tightly on to him because he's the only place that we find lasting hope and life. So thank you so much for being here. If you're a guest today, we want to especially say welcome and thanks to you for being here. And we hope that this time will be a blessing to you. In fact, our theme for today is bless. And one way we want to bless you is with a gift. And so we encourage you as you leave today to stop by the Welcome Center in the lobby out there and uh, receive the gift that we have for you. Plus, just introduce yourself. We'd like to get to know you better. Wow, the last 10 days, extraordinary. Uh, really unprecedented, at least in my lifetime, to see a full-on war in Europe and uh, a refugee crisis like the world hasn't seen since the end of World War II. And all this loss of life, the humanitarian catastrophe is just heart-wrenching to see. One thing this conflict has done is it has lifted our eyes from our own individual problems and from the polarization in our nation to look at the world. We've all thought about the world this week. And I don't know about you, but I have felt lots of emotions. I have felt anger at the evil and the senseless destruction. And I have felt saddened and heartbroken by the loss of life and by the suffering and by the displacement of over a million people. And you know, I've noticed those that, that people, when they see all that and they feel all that, they want to do something. They want to help. They want to get involved. And I read yesterday about an interesting way that uh, some people are helping out. And people around the world, but particularly in the United States, one thing they're doing is that they are booking and paying for Airbnb stays in Kiev and other parts of Ukraine. Obviously, with no intention of going and staying there, all we want to do is get the money into the hands of individual families and individuals. And, and I just think that is so cool, a creative way to get involved to do something to help out. And of course, others are actually packing up and heading there in order to provide personally, directly, humanitarian aid or to join in the fight. Today, this morning, we want to lift our eyes to the world too. And in doing that, we want to remember that there is a spiritual conflict going on that is just as real. That there is an enemy, a tyrant, who with his lies 
has taken captive the peoples of this world. And his name is Satan. And we, who through faith in Jesus have been delivered, have been rescued, have been set free from bondage to sin and Satan, we've been called to do something, to get involved, to help out in this conflict, which is even more real than the one we watch on television and the news this past week. What can we do? Well, we're not called uh, in this conflict to book Airbnbs. Uh, in, instead, uh, we're called in many ways to join in this spiritual conflict. And one way that we do it is by sending some of our best to take the gospel message of forgiveness and freedom through faith in Jesus to different parts of the globe and to different peoples. And we call these whom we send global teammates. That's our terminology. Everyone say global teammate. Global teammate. Did you hear Jim? All right, he's, he's got that down, all right, global teammates. And so this morning is going to be a little different from our normal worship service uh, because we're going to hear from several of our global teammates via video. We're going to hear from five, three in Europe, one in Africa, and one in Canada. And they are going to be sharing with us how they, in their context, are loving their neighbors to Jesus just as we here in Winona Lake and Warsaw want to bless our neighbors, they are doing the same kind of thing across the globe. And so whether it's across the street or around the world, we want to reach our world. And how we do that is this whole bless idea. Begin with prayer. And then uh, listen until our neighbors feel heard. And then E is eat which really has everything to do with hospitality, giving and receiving hospitality. That's where relationships really begin to go deep. The S, first one, is for serve, to serve in tangible ways to demonstrate the love of Christ. And then finally, S is to share our story of faith and the story of Jesus. Now, before we get to our global teammates, I want us to take a look at a brief paragraph out of Matthew chapter 9. So I invite you to take your Bibles, whether those Bibles are on paper or digital, and find Matthew chapter 9. If you reach in front of you and grab that Bible in the rack, you will find Matthew chapter 9 on page 790. Now, as you're turning to Matthew chapter 9, uh, I want to remind you that we, we have entered March, which means we have entered the third round of reading through the Gospel of Matthew. Our goal here at the beginning of the year is to read through the Gospel of Matthew four times in the first four months of the year. And if you're following through on that, and I hope you are, then you're probably beginning to think, wow, this is getting to be a little repetitive, a little redundant. And I say, yes, you're right, but stick with it because now is when the results really come. Now is when the impact comes as we stick with it. Let's read through it a third time. And I encourage you this time as you go through the Gospel of Matthew to uh, read it and think about the heart of Jesus. The heart of Jesus. To whom was Christ's heart drawn? What made his heart angry? What made his heart sad? What gave joy to his heart? And, and to think about that, contemplate that, and consider what that means for us and our hearts. 
actually in this passage we're going to look at, we get a glimpse into Christ's hearts. We see a strong emotion in Jesus in this passage. So Matthew chapter 9, starting with verse 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. Now, that is almost word for word verbatim what Matthew had already written in chapter 4, verse 23. The difference is that Jesus is now going to multiply and reproduce his ministry by sending out his disciples, his followers. And the next chapter is his sermon to his disciples about ministry and going out and reproducing what he's done. So what he's been doing, he's now going to multiply through his followers. Continue reading verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. The first phrase of that last section reads, Jesus saw the crowds. And, and, and that, that doesn't mean he just noticed that they were there. Uh, when it says that he saw the crowds, it meant that he paid attention to them, that he cared about them, that he saw them as individuals to know and to understand and whose needs he could meet. Jesus wasn't uh, distracted by his own business. Actually, his business was people. That was his whole business. And so he saw the people and he cared about them. How many people in our lives do we just recognize that they exist and they're there, but we don't really see them? The waitress at our favorite restaurant, the cashier at Kroger's, our insurance agent, the teachers of our children, our neighbors. How, how do we have our eyes changed so that we really see people the way Jesus saw them, with his eyes, with a heart of compassion and care and concern that moved him towards them. Well, I think it begins with prayer. When we begin to pray for our neighbors and those that we work with and those whom we see in our day, when we, when we consciously bring them before the Lord in prayer, then our eyes are changed. And we see them in a different way, with eyes like Christ. Well, we're going to start today by hearing from Dave Hobart, who is one of our global teammates in France, talking about praying for neighbors. Hi, we are Dave and Susie Hobart, and we've been missionaries in France since 1980. And um, we work with, in church planning and development in Burgundy, France, so in the center. And then um, for the last few years, we've been uh, spending six months here in the fall semester in Winona Lake, working with Grace College students who are interested in overseas service or language studies. So we, we do the two. And um, we have the joy of even seeing some of the students while we're, while we're in France, seeing some of the Grace students over there who are studying. 
So today we're sharing about be, begin with prayer, begin with prayer. Everything we do has to start with prayer. France is only 1% evangelical, 1%. People are disillusioned with the church and have basically rejected religion. Over one half are atheists and agnostic. So barriers to sharing the gospel are broken through consistent and faithful prayer for open doors to start and build relationships with the unsaved people that we get to know. We try to use things that are already in the culture of the French people, and one of the things they all really enjoy doing is, is taking walks. And so we've developed a, a what we call faith walks, uh, where we get together, invite people to come and take a hike in the countryside, but then we stop and have some kind of a spiritual thought. And I'd just like to share you with you real quickly one time, um, it was my turn to do the, the sharing part, and it was we were talking about eternity. And um, after we were done, I just said to um, the, the people who were there, I have this Bible that is, uh, we have a load of Bibles that we give out. I said, if anyone is interested in having a Bible, I would love to give this one out. And one of the ladies raised her hand and said, oh, I'd like to have a Bible. I was just telling someone I don't have mm -hmm. a Bible. And so that was a really cool, we didn't know this lady, she was there for the first time, but that was a really neat time of seeing somebody reach out for a Bible who later came to faith and became part of a, a Christian church. So the French desire to live in community, it might be in a book club or a cultural group or a sports club. And over the years, Susie and I have been active in several of these groups, including choirs, basketball clubs, and our own with the Christians uh, in, our, uh, in our area uh, called the Living Faith Association, like or the Faith Walks, and also our English Bible reading group. So friendships are developed through these relational bridges and people are then more open to share their concerns with us. And these often open discussions about faith over coffee or, or maybe a meal. So we would like to encourage you to consider reaching out to others in love, in your context, through relational bridges. Uh, these relationships of joining a group or a club or maybe even starting one on your own in order to share God's love with others. Thanks. Forty-two years, Dave and Susie, in Burgundy, seeing people and beginning with prayer. Thankful for them and their faithfulness. We begin with prayer here, too. Well, Jesus saw the crowds. Look at the next phrase in verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Just not a strong enough word in English to describe what that word means. Uh, the word is actually intestines, entrails. Um, it's when you feel something strongly in the gut. He saw people and, and there was something that grabbed him. He was feeling for them at the gut level. It's experiencing something hard along with someone else. And I bet you felt it this week. I felt it this week. 
We've all been seeing images from the Ukraine, images like the ones behind me, uh, of people taking what belongings they could carry and fleeing, of uh, kids and moms and that look of terror in the face and just the, the blank look. And what's that produced inside us? Compassion, the, the gut level feeling of, oh man. Yesterday I watched a video. Little boy was about the age, uh, seven or eight, about the age of my grandson. He expected to be walking three days straight to get to the Polish border. Instead, somebody picked up him and his mom, and through tears, he's describing that they're glad they have a ride to get there. And then through more tears, he describes, yeah, my dad stayed behind to fight. broke my heart that's what Jesus says he sees the crowds he had compassion on them what they were burdened down with what was messed up for them what they were struggling with he felt it's the same for us what we struggle with and feel he feels and has compassion for us He feels with and for them at the gut level. Why? Because, next phrase, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He saw them as harassed. Interesting word. Uh, Exhausted, skinned, nothing left. He saw them as helpless, thrown down, deserted, left to themselves to try and and figure out how to handle what they were struggling with. They were like sheep without a shepherd. How do you respond to those here, our community, our county, those who are harassed and helpless and struggling? I want the compassionate heart of Jesus for people who don't know him yet wrestled this week with what's my attitude towards it? it's it's in front of us like every day now what's my attitude towards those who are transgender usually shock but those that have been part of our church family and, and related in our uh, to families in our church i don't feel the shock but i bump into somebody at a store and i obviously trans and what is that in me I pull back emotionally and then I go wait a minute that's their version of brokenness I've got my version of brokenness it's just different than theirs Uh, mine isn't any better theirs isn't any worse We're all broken by sin. We all need a savior. And when I get to that spot, that's when the the seed, the start of compassion. He had compassion on them, seeing them as harassed and helpless, sheep without a shepherd. When you have gut level compassion, you begin with prayer, you learn to to take the time to actually listen. What are they dealing with? 
Here are two of our global teammates who have who've been really good at listening for 20 years now to people in Dublin, Ireland, Roy and Holly Angle. I'm Roy and Holly Angle, and we're in Dublin, Ireland, and we uh, spent the past 20 years kind of inserting ourselves into social networks around Dublin, uh, trying to be uh, light and salt and leaven uh, in the lives of our friends. The best way that we can listen to people is by being patient, allowing them to say what's on their heart and in their minds, and then offering suggestions or answers to the questions that they have. Now, one, one such example of that is the Socrates Cafe, which is a cafe discussion group. Um, the people would come to discuss the question of the night. We would break up into separate conversations of about five or six people, and then, um, then we would go home. But then the communities started asking, well, what did the other tables talk about? How did they handle the question? So they suggested that we have um, a recap time after the table conversations. And we did that. We listened to what they suggested and it's become part of the monthly format that we do Socrates Cafe. So we found that by listening to the audience and the people that we're working with, living with, we need to really pay attention to what they have to offer. And so that's what we did, and it's turned out well. <clears throat> You've heard that saying that people don't um, care what you know until they know that you care. And maybe the primary way that we demonstrate that we care is by being patient enough to listen, to, to really have our ears tuned in to what people are saying. Let's take a look at the next phrase in our text. The next thing that Jesus says to his disciples is this, the harvest is plentiful. On another occasion, in John chapter 4, Jesus told his disciples, look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. He wasn't talking about wheat or barley or soybeans or corn. He was talking about people again. He was talking about people and in this particular case, in John 4, he was talking about the people of the village of Sychar who were Samaritans, who were streaming out of the village towards him. And he says to his disciples, look, there's the harvest field, and it is ripe for harvest. Now the thing is, Jews didn't particularly like Samaritans, and it was hard for the disciples to imagine talking with Samaritans, much less sitting down and eating with them. But this is what Jesus called them to do. When he said, look at the harvest, how do you harvest? Well, he says, go engage them, talk with them. You got to actually sit down and eat with them. Wow. And you know what they did it. We know that they stayed several days in Sychar. And as a result of that, John tells us that many Samaritans in the village believed in Jesus. The harvest was, in fact, ripe and plentiful. This was a harvest of souls, and it required engagement relationally. It, it required sitting down together. It required receiving hospitality, in this case, eating together, which was a stretch for the disciples. But, but Jesus was 
inviting them to join in his mission to reach the world, every nation, tribe, and tongue. Of course, we're called to do the same. And in our context, to not only receive hospitality, but to give it. And that's that E in bless, which is eat. It's all about hospitality. And the next person we're going to hear from is Joellen Fickle, and she lives in southern Germany in the city of Heilbronn. And she's been working with refugees there now for some years, and most of them have come from Syria and Afghanistan. But there is a large wave coming from Ukraine. So one of our global teammates is soon going to be directly working with and blessing, undoubtedly giving hospitality to and receiving hospitality from uh, refugees from Ukraine. And God works in that. Let's listen to Joellen. Hey, Winona Lake family. My name is Joellen, and I live and work here uh, in Heilbronn, Germany. I work with refugees. So when I say refugees, I, I mean people coming from, the middle, from, from mostly Middle Eastern countries, um, but also parts of Africa. Um, I think your guys' topic this week is food and fellowship. I have to say that's pretty much my whole job is eating and, and hanging out with people in a sense of it's, it's who they are. Like when you get invited um, to a refugee's house, there's for sure gonna be treats and snacks and, and drinks and tea and coffee there. Um, as well as when people come to my house, as well as when Germans come over, like I want to have them in my home and I wanna eat with them and get to know them. And that it's just a relaxed environment. I think two quick stories is, is one, there was an Afghan lady that lived across the road from me and we had this game of sending food back and forth to each other. It's a part of their culture. Um, they also look out for the singles, which is great. And so she would send me a plate of food um, and God used her in my life sending that plate of food because it always came at the perfect time. But also I would send that plate back, you know, the next week with food on it. And when words weren't there, her German wasn't very good, but when words weren't there, God used this food, this crazy food thing to deepen our friendship, deepen our relationship. And I was able later and throughout our friendship to share um, her worth and her value in Christ and and who the God of the Bible is. Um, same with our ladies' nights. A lot of you guys know these these evenings we had. I want to do them again of just having women in the house, hanging out, eating together, have, drinking tea, um, henna, we painted nails, like all this. It's just a relaxed environment when we have people in our homes and food and drink. And, and at these evenings, we actually, we actually had um, Christian refugees and non-Christian refugees. And during this evening, people would trade you know, numbers. And so it's just a relaxed environment where these really cool things can happen and it just deepens your friendship. So I just encourage you all, have people in your homes, get Pepsi, Mountain Dew, coffee, tea, whatever, chips, um, order a pizza, get them in your homes, give them a free dinner. It'll strengthen your friendship. And I just think it gives you, you will naturally talk about your faith and your life at the table. All right, ciao. She left off the most important one, ice cream. <laughs> and she, uh, many of you were partnered with Joel, and you know what an awesome job she does. I love it when she describes uh, pretty much most of my job is eat and talk with people. <laughs> That's good. She's good at it. Begin with prayer. Listen 
eat together, to bless others. The next phrase that Jesus has in verse 37, it said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. If you've driven at night in uh, anywhere in the Midwest here, but especially Indiana, Ohio, uh, late fall, you've seen this. Uh, field after field after field after field that has, has dried up properly and is ready for harvest. And all of a sudden there's this urgency. Uh, quick, bring the harvest in. Uh, get to work in the fields before the rains and it gets too muddy and then it's too late. There's an urgency for the harvest. And as you're driving by, then you, you see out in the middle of the field, way out there, one or two lights on a tractor or a harvester. The harvest is plentiful and there's just a few workers out there who are working long and hard to to bring the harvest in before it's too late. The harvest is great and the workers are few. Jesus is calling his disciples. They, the 12 have been with him for a while now. And as Kip said, chapter 10, he's gonna send them out and multiply his ministry. And, and he's focusing on the harvest and saying, okay, your workers, he's calling them to be harvest workers. See all the people, see all the needs, You've got what will meet the need. He's calling them to go to those who are harassed and helpless. What's their greatest need? Forgiveness, salvation, to have all the spiritual burden that's been laid on them by the Pharisees lifted off. And that's what Jesus sends them to do. Their greatest need is to hear and learn the love God has for them. Love that soon would send their teacher, Jesus, to the cross to pay for the sins of the world in order to pay the debt of their sin and to offer them right relationship with God. Jesus called them to be harvest workers. This passage calls us also to be harvest workers. When you see people, you hear the extent of their struggles because you listened. When you listen for their hearts and, and it brings about in you this gut level compassion, you think, man, the needs are huge. What difference can I make? But remember, it's not just you. God's taken hundreds of us in this church family and hundreds more across our community and other good, faithful, Bible-teaching churches. And God's taken those hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of followers of Jesus and scattered them all over our community. So it's not just you, and it's the person down the row from you and behind you, and, and it's one of those coworkers, the other person that you teach with. And God's scattered us all across factories and businesses and schools and neighborhoods and across the bleachers for sports events. He's put us there for his purposes. Our church family gets to partner with an amazing group of global harvesters. We're hearing from a few of them this morning. And we're honored, too, as a church family. We've got some retired global 
harvesters retired. Uh, they haven't retired from ministry. They've just retired from being overseas. You think of Tom Julian and Jim Nesbitt and Dave and Sue Griffith, uh, all part of our church family who've given their lives to the harvest in France. And I think of Jay Bell, uh, missions, short-term missions in probably a dozen countries across the globe. Uh, his missions traveling days are done, but still on mission. And I think of people like Kip and Mary Cohn and Dave and Kathy Manduka who gave chunks of their life to the harvest in Germany. What a blessing in our church family to have these folks and the testimony of their faithfulness. We have in our uh, in-process and new missions display right outside the doors out here. Uh, we have a card there for each of our global teammates, and then we have one that says, who will be next? Who will be next? Who will we get to send next? That's because uh, it's trying to express our desire as a church to see God raise up the next generation of gospel-driven young adults called by God to go and take part in the harvest. We want to send some of our best. The harvest is great, but the workers, few. Another of our veteran, long-term global teammates has their home base right here at WLGBC. We're going to hear about the first S, serve others, from Jim Hawking. Jim and Faye have been serving strongly for a long, long time in Africa and in their neighborhood here in our community. We get to hear from them. My name is Jim Hawking, and I'm the founder of Water for Good. We work in the Central African Republic and bring clean water to people across the country. We're now serving nearly a million people in the Central African Republic, giving them clean water. And we've been able to help so many people. But our primary focus is to actually bring pride and integrity back into the lives of Central Africans. We want to help them understand that they can solve the problems in Central Africa. We've been able to work at planting churches while they're in the Central African Republic. We drill a water well, and then that water well actually brings people, especially the Fulani. The Fulani have been very receptive, and we've been able to evangelize people in the Central African Republic by helping them with clean water. You see, serving people is a way that we can actually help them understand who Jesus is. We want to show them who Jesus is by showing them his love for them, helping them understand that he loves them even more than water for good than Jim Hawking does. Thank you for helping us do that, but also I want to encourage you to look for ways that you can help people in your community, helping people, serving them, being a help to them in the areas that you can do. I know we help our neighbors here in the Riverlawn Edition. I chop trees for some of them. I've also taken uh, uh, gifts over to them. Um, we have one man who can hardly get out and I've taken over to him 
apple pies, different things, because we want to serve these people and help them understand the love of Jesus. You can do that too, wherever you are. Thank you so much. How do I get on the apple pie list? That's, that's the big question right there, you know. <laughs> I got need for an apple pie, all right. That's wonderful. What, how tangible that is, clean water, and yet uh, creating an opportunity not only to demonstrate the love of Christ, but to share the truth of Christ with people. Well, Jesus concludes in this paragraph talking to his disciples by saying this, Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Is that still good for today? Yeah, he's not done with that. What, what, what's happening right now in the world? What's God's purpose for continuing history? Another year comes into existence, and there's a lot of chaos and a lot of hard things, and in our hearts we long for his return. Just come back, Jesus. Come back. Wouldn't that be great? And yet he's still at work. And what is he doing and why? Why do we still need workers? Just, just like he's going to send out uh, his disciples in chapter 10, he's continuing to send out, send out workers into the harvest field because he's still up to something. What is it? He, he is king sitting on the throne. And what he's doing right now is he's populating his eternal kingdom. He's harvesting souls for his eternal kingdom. He loves people. And he's continuing to call men and women, boys and girls from every nation, tribe, and tongue to himself for his eternal kingdom. That is what he is doing. And he's doing it because this is his heart. He is drawn, he is attracted to those with great need because he himself is the cure, the solution. I read this great illustration in a book called um, gentle and lowly, which I highly recommend uh, to you. A compassionate doctor traveled deep into the jungle to provide medical care to a primitive tribe afflicted with an awful, contagious, disfiguring disease. He had researched the problem, correctly diagnosed the illness, and at great personal expense and sacrifice developed a cure, which he had flown in with him. He is independently wealthy and has no need of any kind of financial compensation. But as he seeks to provide care, the afflicted refuse. They want to take care of themselves. They want to heal on their own terms. Finally, a few brave young men step forward to receive the care being freely provided. What does the doctor feel? This contagious, deforming disease. When these people approach him, what does the doctor feel? How does he feel about them? Is he disgusted and repulsed by these people and their disease? Is he angry at them for having the disease? Does he run away? No. He is filled with joy. His joy increases to the degree that the sick come to him for help and healing. It's the whole reason he came. And like that doctor... Jesus came to save sinners, and we were the worst of all. <laughs> and in love, he came to us. And so he's called us who belong to him with his heart 
to, to move toward those with great need, with the hope of the gospel. At some point, we need to share that wonderful truth, and that's the final S in bless, that is to share your story of faith and the story of Jesus. And here's Phil Bryant, one of our global teammates in Canada, to share with us about that. Hi, my name is Phil Bryant. I'm a missionary here in Canada. And thank you, Winona Lake uh, Grace Brethren Church. You guys have been an amazing support system for us, for my wife, Beth, and my five kids. I've been here in Canada for over 25 years, and we've been planting churches. And now, uh, with the last five years, we've transitioned the church we started here in Vancouver. And another pastor is taking that, and I coach him along with four other ch churches that I coach, part of what's called the CIS Church Expansion working with churches and revitalizations, restarts, church planting, and adoption. Today I'm talking to you about how to share our faith and how do we share faith in our context. Like you guys, we've had a really difficult time with COVID and Canada has been very, very um, closed as it relates to how that works. So a lot of masking, a lot of social distancing, and, um, and there needs to be um, oftentimes we use our little passports in order to go to restaurants or different places to shop and so it's made it difficult for people to feel safe and for um, relationships to, to be formed over the last two years so one of the things that we've discovered is is that people are not as comfortable in large groups but they are safer and feel comfortable in a small group and it was been really cool and very exciting just to have them into our space and um, and just what we did was our kids go to youth group on Friday night and so we we invited the neighbors over on Friday night and that worked out because it has a certain time window to it, like from 6.30 to 9, that's kind of what it is. And that allowed, allowed us to have a, a beginning and an end. And what we found was our neighbors were really, really excited for this. But, you know, I think that one of the key ways in this particular season, especially coming out of COVID, I don't know exactly what it's like there in Monona Lake, but I know what it's like here in Canada. It's really not about the group and big, exciting things where lots of people are. It's actually investing in people's personal lives and finding ways to do that. And then just really asking the Holy Spirit for those moments when you can actually get real with people. And then the opportunity to pray, opportunity to share your story, and hopefully an opportunity to share the gospel. So it's been great to chat with you guys. Thank you very much for supporting the Bryants here in Canada. And we're prayerful we get to see you guys soon. God bless. Reach our world across the street and around the world. We're going to respond uh, by singing and have a couple of action steps. Uh, but let's pray together first. God, we come before you grateful for amazing global harvesters, our global teammates, for the work that they faithfully do, um, all in hard situations, cross-culturally, we thank you for their faithfulness and pray for your spirit's empowerment and direction. Use their lives, their testimony of faith, their words about the gospel to make an impact for eternity in each of their places. And we pray the same for ourselves, that you use our lives, our testimonies of faith, the way we follow you, the way we speak, and our opportunities to bring you into the conversation, to make a difference for eternity here as we seek to reach our world. Pray in your name. Amen.